Okay, everyone, how's it going out there? We are live right now. Steven Ignoramus here. Welcome to Call Me Ignorant, episode number 24, 6.01 p.m., June 19th, 2019. So pleased you could be with us. Call Me Ignorant is a live conversation show. Whether with an interesting content creator, an expert in a field, a controversial figure, or with a fellow human being trying to spread a message, Call Me Ignorant will try to solve the problems of the world, conversationally speaking. We are streaming live right now to YouTube, Twitch, Periscope, Mixer, DLive, and Picarto. If you can't catch the show live, you can find it after the fact on the above-mentioned platforms, also on BitChute and FreedomScoop.com. Call Me Ignorant is also available in podcast format on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean. You can find me on Twitter at IgnoramusSteve. Send me an email at StevenIgnoramus at gmail.com. Topic ideas, questions, and potential guests for the show are much appreciated. With me on the program today is Bill Bushka. He is a writer, speaker, and blogger, and you can find all of his work over at doaskdotell.com, although he has a bunch of different blogs out there. All of that you can find linked below in the show description. He reached out to me after I interviewed Ford Fisher, whose YouTube channel was demonetized amid the latest YouTube purge. Reading his blog and watching his videos have, has given me a better sense of the bigger picture behind the internet culture that we live in, tech censorship, online free speech, and net neutrality, all of which we'll get into today. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Bill. Welcome to Call Me Ignorant. Okay, uh, nice to be, be here. and. Uh... What I, would, I sort of want to talk about my perspective of how the how I got into the free speech thing, and then I'll, I'll later give you a little bit of my own biography of why I got into it the way I did. Mm -hmm. um, but the most striking, and first of all, um, just so that you all know, there is real news. Uh, there is a bill to repeal a lot of Section 230. It was just introduced today by Josh Harley, what's his name, the Republican senator from Missouri. Mm -hmm. Um, they for, would apply to large platforms, and they could only get Section 230 back if they agreed to have an audit every two years for political neutrality. Okay, could you and, explain to the folks what Section 230 is? Section 230 limits, treats platforms, and for that matter, web hosting providers, as being like telephone companies. In other words, they're like utilities. They're not, they're not liable for what their users do under most circumstances. Now, there are some exceptions. If it's grossly illegal content and there have been erosions of that liability in recent years, um, the FOSTA bill regarding sex trafficking was a big deal earlier this year and last year. Um, but that's what enables it to be possible to put user-generated content online and be seen by the entire rest of the world without someone else having to see it and approve it before it goes up. If everything had to be reviewed before it goes up, you couldn't self-publish. Mm. It would be like it used to be before the mid-90s. And that's something I want to talk about because I was one of the earliest people to take advantage of the new, uh, sort of the new freedom that suddenly appeared in the late 1990s before anybody really understood why it was significant. Um, I wrote um, a series of three books. I'll just reach over here and get one of them. Um, it's, this is the most recent one, and it seems, is it, um, do I have to turn it or it seems like it's, It looks like you're good, yep, you can see it. Yeah, because it's, um, it's inverted, you know, geometrically inverted or something. But it's Do Ask, Do Tell, Free Speech, 
uh, speech is a fundamental right, being listened to is a privilege. And that's the name. Um, it's sort of like if you want to be heard and be taken seriously, you kind of have to earn that right. And whether, you know, whether a right is the same thing. Sometimes we use the word privilege as meaning conditional privilege. That's another thing in philosophy. Um, and that's what I really mean by the title. The earlier book, the, the 1997 book was called Do Ask, Do Tell, A Gay Conservative Lashes Back. And that was about centered around the debate on gays in the military. Hmm. And that's how I got into this. What happened then, the book was self-published in July of 1997. What happened then was about a year later, I went ahead and put all the text of the book online along with expanding footnotes. I had a website called hppub.com, High Productivity Publishing, which was the name of the company I set up to be the publisher. And um, a coworker of mine, I was working for a company called ING, Reliastar, which is now Voya. Um, it was actually an insurance company, but a coworker of mine actually had a web hosting company called Virtual Netspace. And so he hosted the, you know, my first site for $100 a year. And that was back in 1997. And um, so then I just put simple HTML files up and I started putting a lot of them up. First of all, I made an extra footnotes for the book and just accumulated more comments. And what I found, Google came along and there were a lot of other search engines at the time, um, like Lycos, AltaVista and so forth. What I found is I was getting found very quickly because all my files were simple HTML. And at the time, those are the ones that the search engines knew how to index. Hmm. So I could post things and I would get emails about them the next day. I mean, there was one situation in 1998 in May of 1998, and I was living in Minneapolis then, that why was, that's another story, but where it turned out to be personally very important that somebody respond, happened to see what I had posted about a sentence thing and responded the next morning. That actually mattered in a particular circumstance then. <laughs> but um, you could be found very quickly and that was very, and not many people did this. So you could become a celebrity very quickly by just simply posting things in standard HTML and letting Google find you. Wow. You did not have to use, even though there were tutorials on how to use meta tags and search and SEO and everything, you didn't really have to use it. You would just be found if your content was unique enough and detailed enough and particularly long essays. And my the chapters of my book were long, would get indexed a lot. And so you would be found. Um, the book sold pretty well the first year, first year and a half, and then it stopped selling. Like most personal nonfiction doesn't sell particularly well, you know. I mean, that's just generally true, unless you're already a celebrity, like Hillary Clinton or something. You know, you're <laughs> not going to, yeah, Hillary can sell books, but not many people can, you know, or, or I, you know, um, I, so. If, unless you're a unless you're a celebrity, generally a, a memoir or something is not going to sell very well. And um, I did, and right now it's on print on demand um, with iUniverse, and then the third book is with Ex Libris. Okay. And they will call you all the time and try to get you to buy packages to sell more copies. But and the books are overpriced. But the real thing is that they're online, 
and they're in simple format and people go back and look at it so they know what you said. Mm. So even though I don't have large numbers of visitors like Tim Poole does or something or like Ford Fisher does for that man, the people who matter, the, the politicians and the people who matter all find out what you said and it influences how they think. Mm. And this was very much the case with gays in the military. And we'll get back to what I said, the argument I made with regard to that, because now that's not the same as transgender in the military now, which Trump has tried to stop. That's the older policy that was repealed in 2011. So that's how I came into this. Mm. Um, so for a very long time, all I had was HTML files and I had hundreds of them. I started doing movie reviews and I had hundreds of those and, and then started book reviews and all kinds of things. Then I started using Blogger in 2006 and gradually those accumulated and I still have it. And then I started using WordPress, hosted WordPress in 2014 and then I added two more of them in 2016. And the media, the news commentary and the media commentary are the two best blogs that are intended to look professional and be seen but by, by the rest of the world. And I think they look pretty good when you look at them. They have no advertising. The blogger does have advertising, has AdSense. Um, the WordPress has no advertising except for Amazon inserts, you know, Amazon you know, associate inserts, you know, which earn a little bit, they don't earn very much. So monetization is not very important to me. Okay. <laughs> because I'm retired and I have money that was saved and then I did inherit some money, although that's an interesting thing, because a lot of it's in a trust and you have to be very careful because some of it is not really mine. And that's another topic that's actually very interesting when you talk about how you fund all these content, how you fund that actually presents some more questions that I wanna talk about with some of the other people soon. Um, there's a lot that's going on that they, that Pool and Fisher and so forth, haven't thought of saying yet, and maybe we'll say some of them today. Cool. So the, the the situation you just described in the late 90s or mid-late 90s is that's the subject of your blog post, uh, my use of search engines in the old web 1.0 made me a public figure. Is that? Yeah. That's, yeah okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah All yeah. right. And there's a new one I posted yesterday on news commentary, if you pull that up. Um, that's what my future plans are, because I think the whole... The whole mechanism that we use to be seen to where we can post what we want and be found and influence thought around the world anytime we feel like it, that's in great jeopardy. Mm. And I, I don't think it's really going to be around a whole lot longer, to be very honest with you. And I let me I can lay out what I think is gonna happen. First first of all, there's one one big problem with the way everyone handles this. People will focus on one issue, which a couple of years ago was net neutrality. When Trump got yes. won the election, everybody was worried that net neutrality was going to be removed, which it was technically, but nothing's really happened of significance because of that one issue. There's a group called Fight for the Future, which tries to get people to donate and tries to get people to take action. And so what happens, you'll find all these activist groups that will focus on this one issue and try to get you to devote your entire, you know, activity to them as if 
as if we can't give in on any issue because, but the problem is that net neutrality hasn't turned out to be the problem. It was only, you know, generally speaking, there hasn't been any throttling of, of legal content there, other than some very small issues. There have been, well, been some small, some problems like that affected the wildfires in California and so forth. But generally, as far as free speech is concerned, net neutrality has not yet made very much difference. Can you explain for the people out there that don't know what that is, what uh, net neutrality is? Net, net neutrality means that a that a telecommunications telecom provider has to has to treat all content um, equally and can't throttle or can't can't charge you to be connected to them and so forth. Hmm. They can do certain things, but there are some limits. Like Netflix is allowed under with certain restrictions to have preferred channels and movie studios and HBO, you know, some of these sites do have faster speeds and in certain conditions and that's allowed. And that's okay because that doesn't really affect the ability of ordinary speakers to be found. Um, but there are some, the very large companies like H Netflix do have some things that they can do that we don't. The rest of us don't. But generally speaking, that doesn't matter very much in practice. Okay. And that's why, uh, you know, since that got repealed, nothing significant has really happened. Not, the, not really. Okay. Not that affects free speech very much. Okay. Even though everybody said it would. Yeah. <laughs> next, the next big thing was FOSTA. Um, it facilitate online. I can't remember the, what the acronym, the exact spelling of the acronym, but it has to do with weakening section 230 downstream liability protections if your website incidentally facilitates sex trafficking mm. and the big hullabaloo in early 2018 was that it was amended in such a way as to include any facilitation of prostitution okay so export that's why craigslist had to remove all adult dating services suddenly and why oh. reddit removed a lot of groups and why a lot, a lot of smaller sites that, that basically helped people hook up and so forth were shut down as a result of FOSTA. Oh. Um, but that hasn't meant very much to the big platforms because they already essentially they already were making against their terms of service anyway. Okay. Um, host, you should also understand that hosting companies like Bluehost and GoDaddy and so forth, they're not the same thing as social networks. With a hosting company, you pay for a domain name, you pay for hosting service to manage the servers, and um, and generally you can say anything you want, but they do have acceptable use policies. And those have been tight, more tight. Um, you're not allowed to do anything that's illegal, like child pornography, of course. And most of them have added sex trafficking to their AUPs, which is understandable that they would. Um, you're not allowed to run online pharmacies to sell drugs without a prescription or import drugs from other countries, for example, uh, from Canada. You're not allowed, and some of them won't let you sell weapons. There are some restrictions. Do you know uh, about the Silk Road story from a couple of years yeah, ago? I think, yeah, I've heard of that. And I think that that kind of activity, if I remember on Bluehost's AUP, I think they mentioned something. They didn't call it that, but they did mention assisting, you know, drug, you know, in trafficking of drugs and so forth. They did mention that as is prohibited use. 
And but so they generally don't. Yeah, they generally don't. It's generally only if somebody complains that they would catch something. Now, this generally didn't mean very much until suddenly in 2017. Of course, what happened on August 12, 2017? We had Charlottesville, right? Mm. And which Ford Fisher was right there. And I'm sure you've watched this video sure. of it. And um, I've watched it too. And, and um, it's quite chilling. You know, it's quite chilling to watch. Um, I didn't even know it was going to happen that morning. You know, I, I, I had not kept up with the right and with all the protesters the way he does. And I was home and I happened to find out about it on CNN around 10 o'clock in the morning. It's, they showed the protest live and, and and um, you know that around one in the afternoon is when Heather Heyer was killed. Mm -hmm. Shortly after that, we know that somebody somebody insulted her family or something. And on oh, on the Daily Stormer, somebody insulted her or something. Yeah. And that blew up. And as as we know, then then all of a sudden people wanted. Um, I think it was. I think GoDaddy was their pro providers. I remember wrote some people started complaining to hosting providers to get the Daily Stormer removed and several other alt right or not alt right extra white supremacist extremist sites removed and several of them were removed. Hmm. And then they tried to get other hosts and they weren't able to. I think finally the Daily Stormer did. It has an odd name. It's. I think it's dailystormer.name now, and I don't know who hosts them. Hmm. Probably offshore, and they are back up. Um, but generally, the web hosting companies are now under a lot of pressure not to host, um, particularly the extreme American alt-right content. I don't think they were under a lot of pressure over radical Islam. Yeah, uh, Obviously, Showing beheadings and showing this kind of stuff that ISIS would do was doing would be very offensive to most people. But I don't recall that there was much pressure on hosting companies regarding them. I think social media companies, which are different, hmm. you know, they're very different from hosting how they work and how the business model works. The social Twitter started, you know, finally cracking down on people recruiting. And it, it's relatively easy to identify Islamic, radical Islamic terrorism content and people trying to recruit. That's relatively easy for social media companies to find. Okay. It's not easy to find white supremacist content unless it's very blatant because of what, um, because a lot of times what the left is complaining about is that it's hidden under dog whistles and memes and that a lot of content that may sound libertarian or that may sound just ordinary conservatives really set up in order ultimately to to um, promote white supremacist ideas. That's been a common complaint. There is a site called uh, Non-Compete. That's the actual name of the site and it's run by a guy named American Johnson on, on YouTube. That's that and um, he made a couple of videos um, after Charlottesville where he entered, where he talked about the topic of stochastic terrorism. Hmm. Have you heard that term? I've heard you mention it in a video, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, stochastic terrorism is the 
planting, a, you know, the planting of little cues and dog whistles and memes and, and, and ideas that are seen enough times that you know that somebody who is, un, who is unstable psychologically will become upset and then will probably go out and commit some kind of atrocity. Wow. That's what I'm particularly, and that's what the extreme, that's what the social media companies, that's one of the things they're extremely worried about. As you know, with New Zealand, that's exactly what happened. And the guy even said, subscribe to PewDiePie before. Right. And so he actually, the guy that did it, and he actually wasn't killed in the incident. I think he's still in jail right. awaiting trial, right? Yep. And so just <clears throat> um, what he wanted to do was create, and he wanted to attack the internet and attack the speech of everybody else around the world by committing this atrocity and live streaming it. He wanted to do the most outrageous thing he could think of to test the limits of people. And so the, the theory is in a, a world of 7 billion people in a country of 350 million, like the United States, there will be some people who are unwired. And there's always a risk that there will be someone who will go out and do something terrible. That's very similar to the problem we have with gun control. You know, most of these shootings have been committed by people that had somehow committed, acquired a weapon legally, right? Mm, yes. And, um, and or maybe their parents had the weapon, maybe the parents didn't lock the weapon up. I can't remember the circumstances. And so even though <clears throat> I certainly support the idea that there should be background checks and that, that there's not a good, there's not a good reason why a civilian for his own home defense at home probably doesn't need a military weapon. Probably, there is certainly a good case that you should not allow civilians to have military weapons in their normal circumstances. That sounds like a reasonable idea to me. Mm. Um, but so, how is you know the what you know minus the that stochastic terrorism? You know, mm -hmm. um, the thing that spreads it obviously is the internet. That's the um, you know, the, yeah. you know, we you know that is mass communication. It, it reminds me of uh, um, you know, distributing leaflets kind of before the the propaganda leaflets. I mean, they would you know in the um, you know in past wars they would fly over a place and uh, yeah, you know, yeah, and, but it probably is. And in fact, in nineteen seventy two. Um, before I came, you know, we'll get into my story in a bit, but in 1972, um, before I had moved to New Jersey from this area and was kind of on my, I was 29 years old at the time, and I was sort of on my own living in a different city. For, um, well, I had been worked for RCA in 1970 and lived in Princeton, and I went back to Virginia. I lived in an apartment near where my parents were, and I was working for the Navy. And then I left that. There was a security clearance issue, and we'll get into that later. And I went to work for Univac in New Jersey. <clears throat> I started going into New York City a lot, and that's when I decided to come out and be as gay. Uh, you know, and there's an earlier episode in my life that we'll get into. But I decided to come out, and then I moved into the city in 1974. Mm. Um, but, um, but the, but. The, one of the issues, yeah, one of the issues was before I came out, I would, I sort of went around in my spare time and kind of, kind of shadowed 
um, left-wing progressive organization. So I was trying to find out what I believed in. And um, I remember going to a, an activist meeting in downtown Newark, New Jersey on a Saturday night after skiing that day earlier in, these, in a cold, drafty apartment. In, and for the People's Party of New Jersey, which had been founded by Dr. Benjamin Spock, I think. And I had no idea how radical they were. And they started talking about calling for violence and, and um, expropriation and revolution and so forth. I, wow. I really didn't realize what, what I could be walking into. Um, but they were very indignant. They thought nobody should be allowed to inherit wealth. They thought that wealth should be confiscated and given to the other people because nobody really earned what they had. They were very ideological. And um, they did do a lot of leafleting. They, there was a lettuce boycott. There were all kinds of boycotts that they wanted <clears throat> to put on against stores. And they would go out and leaflet, um, send, you know, leaflet things you know, wow. in, in the physical world around grocery stores and so forth. And I remember that back in 72. There's also another concept similar to stochastic terrorism called steganography, which is one thing that came up a lot after 9-11. There was a concern that terrorists would hack into um, unsuspecting websites that could have even have been mine and plant plant on signals for people to conduct attacks. Mm. There was a concern that that would happen. Steganography is where you have like a mem that nobody else knows what it is, but, but your own group of people. Wow. Signal people to commit attacks. Now that's similar to what we're concerned now, that if you ban a particular mem on Facebook or on YouTube, you know, if you don't allow, or Twitter, you don't allow a certain symbol to be shown. And that was that case of that author, um, Alt America, where he had a picture of the hats and the, the Ku Klux Klan hats on the cover of his book. And, and um, Twitter suspended him. Mm, they I don't know about them. that. Yeah, yeah, they don't allow hateful symbols. And the whole point of his book is to an expose of the insides of the alt-right. And so the whole point of his cover is shock value, so you understand that the alt right might be dangerous. But when you put when you put the cover when you put that on your profile on Twitter, or you put it as a you know you put the cover of your book that has on Twitter that's showing an image that Twitter doesn't allow. Now the problem with Twitter's policy is that that isn't what's going to instigate people. What's going to instigate them is that. <clears throat> Once that's banned, they'll just adopt another dog whistle that nobody exactly. knows. Yeah. And Twitter doesn't seem to realize that. Now, that, that using of a second dog whistle, that's called steganography. I mean, that's an actual term that intelligence people use. And so you've got stochastic terrorism is one idea. And then you've got steganography, which is another idea, and they're both interrelated. And people haven't really connected these two. But right after 9-11, there was a lot of talk about steganography in the media on the television. And then people stopped talking about it. They kind of forgot about it. So did that actually happen after 9-11? Are there any proven not, cases of I, that? Yeah, I don't know that it ever did. I'm not aware that there was ever an attack because somebody put hacked the site and put something on the site. I'm not aware that that ever really happened. Okay. People worried that it might happen. But, you know, sites have been defaced before, you know, restaurants, you know, and, and there have been a few cases where ISIS attacked just 
sites of random restaurants or something and put their symbol on it and then the, the restaurant have to go in and increase its security as to how did, how did somebody get out. There have been a few cases like that. Um, there were a few cases like that around 2015 or 2016. <laughs> One of the things to remember too about, and this gets back to the gun control issue. One of the things to remember is that, for example, in Europe, people are not, generally are not allowed to own weapons as easily as, and certainly not in Australia where they had the, the buyback. People are not allowed to own weapons the way they are here. Um, so, but, but the, um, the criminals had them in France and the people that hit the criminal rings that, that guy that created those attacks on 2015 there was that attack in january against the company that published the cartoons the dylan's you know charlie hebdo charlie hebdo there was that attack in november and in, in, at the um what was the name of that um the bataclan was, yeah the bataclan yep and i actually know somebody who was there he was all right but oh but um he wasn't affected, but um, but the people, you know, nobody there. So the criminals have the have the weapons, and of course the ordinary people don't have them. So in in Europe, people it's because of the gun control that actually gives terrorists an advantage. Right. And of course that's a, that's an argument that the IRA, the NRA makes all the time, hmm. and that's an argument that has some that is that's an argument that has some validity. Yeah. Um. And I don't know exactly how, and I admire David Hogg, don't get me wrong. I admire what the kids have accomplished, you know, and their, their March for Our Lives and, and they're making people aware of, of safety in schools and everything. I just went to a school safety briefing um, a week ago today, I think. Yeah, a week ago today, and I met Lauren Hogg and so forth. But I don't know what the answer is hmm. because, you know, you get, you, Freedom comes with risks. Yeah. When you allow people the freedom to do things that are normally, you know, any, any, anything can be used for good purposes or can be used for bad purposes. So when you allow people to do things, have more freedom um, to express themselves, some people will misuse it and some people will become radicalized around other parts of the world because people advance people a lot of times who are very and feel left out who have not done well and the economy feel left out and feel cheated but they'll radicalize others that will happen um defending yourself is certainly a morally legitimate aim for wanting to be able to defend yourself at home or when you're traveling that certainly is a morally legitimate idea but when you allow more weapons there's a chance when there's simply more weapons in circulation, there's a greater chance that there are going to be instances, not so much from terror, from foreign terrorists, but domestically. So, you know, when you, when, when there are a lot of weapons around, people are not as exposed to foreign terrorists probably, but they're more exposed to their own domestic violence. And there's a balance, you know, and I don't think anybody has really come up with a principled answer to it. There really is no perfect answer. There's also a parallel between, you know, wanting the Second Amendment and the First Amendment. They're kind of interrelated. Yes. When people have the freedom to speak and reach anyone else anywhere in the world, 
by posting something either on a blog post on a hosted site or which I do or through a video on YouTube or on Facebook or just on Twitter and there's a chance that somebody will it'll trigger a nerve in someone and that something will happen there's a chance of that and when you know that there are there are groups of people who are who feel resentful who feel left out and feel are radical feel are in, are easily radicalized cuz cuz life hasn't been very good to them there's a chance that over time as content that is provocative is put up and there's a chance that these little mems and dog whistles will start to get to some people and there's a chance that something will happen and that seems like a moral dilemma to me i, I don't have a quick answer to it and i don't know what i don't know whether this term stochastic terrorism just came from the left i know that 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 one channel uses it a lot or whether that's an accepted term now it sounds like it's becoming an accepted term yeah, I heard about it for the first time from you, and I'm trying to look up the um, origins of it right now. I have a question about. Um, you said that you, uh, um, in the '70s, you, um, you, I don't know if you said became close, but you got to know some kind of of far left uh, radical <laughs> radicals. Was the the leaflets and things they were saying were they was there an element of truth to them, or were, were they, was it some lies yeah. and things? Right. Um yeah they would certainly they would certainly complain that people were poor, that workers were treated poorly and okay. that people were poor and landlords were bad and so forth and some of the things they said were probably true hmm. and then some of the things probably weren't but when i got into the meeting it, they were extremely aggressive and were extreme i mean i was sort of like a spy sitting in the meeting somebody like me that took wore a suit at work and had a stable income and <clears throat> probably lived relatively well compared to them would have been seen as the enemy. I was kind of, because I didn't, certainly did not join in with them. I never had anything to do with them after going to that one meeting. I was rather shocked at that meeting. I had met a guy, I had met a, met a guy at work who we, we, were, we were working downtown at Newark at public service, electric and gas in a building which has now been remodeled was the building that's right next to Penn Station in downtown Newark, if you remember that area. Mm -hmm. And I had met a guy who was working for the user and he had gotten interested in, and he was not radical either, but he had gotten interested in this group for some whatever personal reason. So I went because he had mentioned it and just on my own time. And, you know, I was rather shocked at um, what I heard when I went to it. Mm. how radical it was and how determined they were to make war on people who had more than they did mm. they were very much into redistributing and taking things away and giving it to other people which is very much like you know raiding Terra and going with the wind or something you know um you know that's one of the things gone with you know if you're going to ban talking about white supremacy on YouTube, would you ban Gone with the Wind? <laughs> because, you know, that's a parable. Scarlett O'Hara is the perfect example of white privilege, right? Mm. It's war, war, there's not going to be any war. And what she has is taken away from her by force for revolutionary reasons. And she has to live, she has to rebuild her life from scratch. And she does. 
And so that's why she's a heron. But she has what the world she inherited taken away from her. So she, she's put to the ultimate moral test and she succeeds. And then she loses love. What she doesn't get is love. You know, mm. If you remember how the move, movie yes. ends. Yeah. And um, I think the movie, that, that movie and the novel is one of the most important morality lessons in all of our literature. Now, is YouTube going to ban discussions of Gone with the Wind because it was because the Civil War was motivated by slavery and by white supremacy? I mean, you just... It just doesn't make any It'll sense. It'll never end. Yeah, if they, it's like the, this is the the. It's not only the monuments thing, but it's also you know the um in the YouTube purge where Ford got demonetized. Mm -hmm. There were some history teachers that just showed right. videos of Hitler speeches, and they got demonetized and got their their channels taken down. And it's like, where's the line there? You can't really do that. I mean, because because the 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 goalpost will always move. You know, right? Yeah. Right, and um, and. I can understand the idea that if, if you belong to a group that has been seriously you know, abused in the past, yes, and if you feel that you can be physically threatened and that you're vulnerable to being physically threatened, you're going to want to support policies and social norms that make harm to you less likely. You know, I'm relatively well off and relatively sh relatively sheltered from the threat of violence. But if you're a black trans person in, in Northeast DC or Southeast DC, you're probably in a lot of danger. And so it is true that some of the stuff you see on, you, some of the stuff on YouTube probably puts some people, some of the less intact people and perhaps the less, I don't, you know, I'm kind of an Ayn Randis myself. I, I hate to say it, but competitive people okay. as individuals, yes. it probably puts them at more risk. When And Carlos Maza, I will give Carlos credit for saying, you know, pe pe some people are at more risk than the rest of us. And we owe them some deference in the way we behave so that we don't un unintentionally make their lives even more dangerous. And he, Maza is complaining that YouTube makes a profit off of activity that puts people, not the entire gay community, but that but puts the less well-off people at greater risk. And that's probably true. Now, Maza himself, I think Maza is putting on a little bit of an act. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's overstating it. I think Crowder is putting on an act, too. Yes. They're both trying to put create a scene. Maza is well-off. Maza is... is I don't like, I hope this doesn't get somebody banned, me banned or something, but Maza looks white to me. It looks like he speaks perfect English. Mm. He doesn't look like he belongs to a minority. He's an ordinarily, relatively good looking white, 31 year old white gay man. He speaks perfect English and is well educated. Mm -hmm. um, why is, why does he consider himself to be in a vulnerable? <laughs> Well, that's a, that's actually one of the things I wrote down that I, you know, I see as part of the problem is that um, a lot of the people that get really, really upset and that like really take things to the next level, I see them as people that um, identify m more with their group than with themselves as an individual, you know, and that that what they do is they talk through about themselves through the lens of their group, and yeah, they don't even, know. they don't even mention themselves. So, you, because you know. he, he's much better off than. And it's, it's laudable that he wants to 
protect and make us care more about people who are a lot less well off than we are. Than what we do you are. mean by well off? Do you mean like well, economically well, or just? I admit that, 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 that probably a trans person of color living in Southeast Washington is probably in not very good. It's likely to not be in a very good situation either economically or I understand terms yep. of personal security. Yep. Okay. That's probably real life. And yeah, it's appropriate that there's some moral responsibility for how we behave, that we don't put them in more people who are less fortunate than us and more peril unintentionally than we want to. Mm -hmm. But David Hogg says that all the time too on Twitter. And he's right that some of the things we do put other people in danger. David Hogg, you know, some of his tweets are a little bit over the top, but sometimes he says things like that. And he's right. What do you, uh, um, earlier you mentioned, uh, military style weapons or military weapons. Uh, that's another thing, just like the, um, historical, when people have problem with, with what's happened in history or things like that, it, it just seems that, um, there, it's not that there's no such thing as a military weapon, but it seems like almost everything's a military weapon. And, you know, they say terms like assault weapons and things like that. These things kind of don't have a definition, but where, where do you, where do you see, you know, that, that line? I don't own a gun and I don't I don't know the exact definition. I know that Trump, I think, banned bump stocks, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. Yeah. Or Congress did. But yes. the AR I think the AR fifteen is a modification of a regular rifle. AR fifteen is just a normal is just a rifle. But there are certain there are certain rifles or certain modifications to weapons that make it possible to fire many rounds in a short amount of time. Yeah, and that would be automatic weapons and, and like a rapid fire. Those are are legal unless you uh, have one that's pre-1986. Um, if you have one of those, uh, you have to get um, – I don't remember the name of the license, but you have to go through the ATF and you have to buy one that's that was manufactured before 86, and they cost more than $12,000 now. I mean they're very, very expensive, but the the, the that's one of my problems w with uh, – the whole debate from the anti-gun is an AR-15 is a standard semi-automatic uh, mm -hmm. rifle, and it, it it just happens to have been used in, in um, some of these high-profile shootings. But um, you know, if you know, what's to say they don't come after the next semi-automatic rifle? And that the assault weapons thing that 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 doesn't really have a definition. That's one of the things that's bothered. Like I'm a gun owner, and that's one of the things that um, kind of bothers me a little bit is that there's no definition. It just becomes for lack of a better word, what's sexy at the current what's moment. Politically, what has the, what's gotten political attention. Exactly. <laughs> so because, so yeah, because, because yes, you're going to see people from March for Our Lives saying, why do you need to own an AR-15? Right. And I, I don't know the technical details. Mm -hmm. I don't know at what point for defense at home, what you really need to, to adequately protect yourself at home if you think you need to. Um, yeah, because I don't know where you draw the line exactly. Because I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a guru on weapons. I right. don't have one. I haven't had any particular interest in it, other than as, as a fundamental right, as a reason why it's, it's something that's a little bit parallel to speech. Yes, if you give people more freedom, some people will misuse it, and there's more danger to some people. Yeah. In the case of Parkland, even though, or in the case of shopping malls and so forth, um, this was people in a relatively well-off neighborhood that were became victims, not people in 
a poor neighborhood that became victims, even though probably most of the victims still are in poor neighborhoods from gun violence. Probably most of them are, but this was a case where people who were much more privileged were caught in the un unintended, you know, unexpected, unpredictable consequences of a of something that's un unstable and something that's a little bit unpredictable. Uh, if we want everybody to be able to defend defend themselves, it's hard to make sure. You can't really make sure that something like this can never happen. I don't know how you can. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's one of the um, one of the parallels you made in your video that I really uh, and or struck a chord with me is you kind of made the distinction or the the comparison between like blaming the gun man manufacturer for a crime and also blaming like a speaker or the place they get content from for the crime of an individual. And they seem like they're almost the same comparison. Like I, it, I, it, 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 it yeah. <laughs> what, what I have to face, and I, I wanna get into what I think is gonna happen, what I think may happen. Um, well, let me just state what I think is gonna happen. Okay. You know that there are a lot of pressures on free speech right now. We talked about FOSTA, we talked about net neutrality. One of the biggest problems comes from the European Union with this recent copyright directive, where in Europe, it's country by country, they're gonna to have to start you know, using filters on every video that is uploaded. Oh. And that, and even Susan Watt, Watt what's her name? The YouTube Wojcicki? YouTube, yeah, yep. said she might, at least in Europe, she might have to only allow established um, or, or established companies or established speakers to provide content. She was afraid she might have to do that. Where I think we're headed is that if you want to post content, you'll probably have to in some way be pre-approved by either the company or by some group, some maybe neutral group that is not from the government, but that is some committee or something where you try to appoint people, a panel of some kind where you try to make it politically neutral. But of course, it's impossible to make every anything absolutely neutral and any group that you would create would probably become subject to being accused of political bias. That, But I think probably where we're headed is if you want to post content, even like my blogs or, if you, or the videos, whether it's pools or this live stream or whether it's for fish you're going to have to be proved pre-approved someone is allowed to do that oh, that you're no. trustworthy that's where i think we're headed oh no now <laughs> think about what that means if, if we and susan wachiti has even hinted at that in one of her blog posts think of what that means it means and you it won't be there will be a lot of speakers who are pre-approved there'll be you know if there are i don't know how many book publishers there are and how many movie studios there are and how many how many companies there are and how many nonprofits there are there will be more speakers than there are organizations maybe there'll be five to ten times as many speakers as as would be as there are actual organizations and companies allowed to be on it might be a large number but there it will still be limited in some way in some in one one thing you could possibly do if, if somebody like me and if, if somebody is if somebody is trained as a journalist like Ford Fisher and or or his friend Trey Inks who's now working for Fox News and 
in Israel, but I chose to work for Fox. But if um, somebody like who is trained as a journalist wants to run his own journal company, that would probably be okay because um, he's obviously has the education and the training. If somebody like me retires from another job and wants to do this, that might be more questionable. Do I have I have training in information technology? I was a mainframe programmer. So why then the question is that was your expertise? Well, or or and I spent a lot of my career in healthcare and a lot of my career, particularly the last twelve years, in life insurance and annuities. Well, the logical thing to ask me is why don't you go out and sell? life insurance and annuities. In fact, I kept on getting calls to do that all the time after I retired, because that's what you're that's what you're professionally credible for doing. Why do you want to be a journalist? Um, so so if you want to be a journalist, well, have you ever heard of the concept? There's another mem called um, No Spectators. Hmm. There, there's a book called Skin, in the, you've heard of the mem Skin in the Game. Yes. Right? Yeah, the book by Nicholas Talent. Well, there's a, there's a film called Rebirth on Netflix. <laughs> you ought to watch that sometime. And I have a review of it on one of my blogs. And the mem is they want to have a society where no one talks about something unless they do it. So what's the objection to journalists? The objection to journalists is that they watch and film and comment, but they don't participate. Um, now, of course, it's Ford Fisher wears a helmet and is exposed to tear gas when he films in France and so forth. And being a combat journalist is very dangerous. Trey is exposed to gunfire when he's over in Gaza reporting and so forth. Um, journalists have been killed, journalists have been injured, some sure. of them captured. And um, there's this, I actually donate to the committee to protect journalists. That's one of my charities. Um, of course, it can be dangerous. Combat conflict journalists, Sebastian Younger. Mm-hmm. Yes. More, yeah. But somebody like me isn't really taking that kind of a risk. And so I think it's fairly reasonable to me. Why don't you join an organization and let them and work for them and let them speak for you and support them first? Well, I find it very offensive that I have to allow an organization speak to speak for me. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's that's no, yeah. And, and I think I mentioned on Facebook, I keep on getting these. Um, after if I make a post that's at all political, Facebook will put insert into my live stream, add a donate button, and then list nonprofits that I should ask to to run a donate a donation campaign myself for an established nonprofit, as if that was what I was supposed to do. Really. Yes, those wow. are in there. And others have told me that they, they looked at my stream. They didn't see it when they saw it, but that only I am seeing it. But yeah, if you, I've been, that's been going on, on and off. That would mean that if I, that would make my use of Facebook, the, the integrity of what I post, to, you know, to come under question if I really wanted to be regarded as a journalist, wouldn't it? But wow. yeah, they do. They I tw- I put up a Twitter feed about that recently too. I actually showed a picture of the of the donate button and everything. Um. But yeah, they'll put a, and they'll even mention the friends the friends of yours that have run these campaigns, which I think is highly inappropriate. Yes. 
Um, but they don't respect the idea that people speak for themselves. They want you to join an organization and then represent the views of the organization rather than yourself. Now think about why they would do this. Um, think about the gay community is really, you know, because the gay community right now is really fractured. You've got, you know, to give you an example, I went to the Nationals not, night out and they won that night. Um, Rendon, you know, Homer, and, you know, <laughs> I, you know, nine to five. They won today, but by the way, this afternoon. Corbin pitched a real good game this afternoon. They won today, but um, six to two. But um, I went to the gay bar, you know, the national up in, the, in the, the bar behind the center field stands, and it was the most masculine, macho thing you've ever seen. There were all these guys that were six feet four, six feet six, standing around that looked like professional baseball players that came to be at this event. Whereas I, when I went to Baltimore Pride, it was the most gender fluid thing you've ever seen in your life, the parade. And not the one in Washington. The one in Washington was pretty much corporate stuff and usual stuff. The one in Baltimore was extremely emphasis on trans and, tr and gender fluid. The bar wasn't, the party at the Baltimore Eagle wasn't, it was pretty much the usual people. But the parade was extremely countercultural. And so there is a lot of tension in the gay community that the, the, you know, the, the, the more traditional people, they want other men that are, they, they're attracted to people that they admire, men. They're not attracted to people that are fluid. So they don't really think a lot of them as individuals. So why should I support somebody diluting masculinity when masculinity is what matters to me. That's kind of a paradox in the gay community. Mm -hmm. that, that's real tension. I mean, HRC has a tremendous problem with this. And it, it, again, it doesn't get talked about very much. Nobody talks about it. Um, but there are a lot of sub-communities within the gay world that, that are not really getting along very well with each other. So that's a that's a question I, I have about, you know, there's uh, when someone says like the term like community black community gay community i mean there's not really such a thing as the white community like so if it's so fragmented uh and people they don't get along on really important things is there such a thing as the gay community in the first place then i don't think there is and yeah. see, that's the problem with carlos maza yeah all, all of a sudden you're speaking for creators you know? right you're all of a sudden you're speaking for like uh for millions of people that haven't signed up for that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you are. I mean, and he's well off himself and doesn't and competitive and able to do anything he wants. And I don't know, you know why he thinks he's, why he signed on to, now, now you know, Tim Pool was suggesting, I, maybe I shouldn't speak for another speaker, but he made a video with suggesting anyway, that the, the major media companies, because they're all in trouble financially, because this clickbait model is not working. They're all having yep. layoffs or having union problems. So they want to destroy the the big YouTube channels that are competing with them for clicks. And the YouTube will eventually be more like a cable or a direct TV channel and not have real independent creators anymore. Because the independent, you'll have to be a company. Again, you'll have to be a real company to have, and have accountability and have of accounting and transparency and everything to be able to, to have content and see that that's the problem I'm in. I don't really, my stuff is all free. There's no, I just simply have the resources to do it and it doesn't cost very much. Right. 
But now somebody will come along and say there's that my content is gratuitous. I don't have to do it. So why are you doing it? Why are you why are you doing this yourself when you could be supporting the the, the less well-off people in your own community when you could join and volunteer and raise money for the people who are less well-off? Why are you doing this out of your own ego? Hmm. Well, because I can. Again, like, yeah. Oh, all right, now, now. So, so if I do it and then somebody doesn't like me and you're putting... I could be making myself a target. I could make other people connected to me a target. That doesn't happen. I haven't gotten any. I got a little bit of nasty stuff yesterday. Um, I said something. I said two things. I one person kept on saying to me that gay men are not men. You know, as if they were trying to get banned from Twitter. You know, if, if you say men are not women, you get banned right now. You know, Tim is talking about that. So he was trying to see if he could get, would get banned saying that gay men are not men or if i would complain which i didn't and they, they, they were there was this also argument over whether cis cis gay men that that was an offensive term somebody thought the idea of, of saying that was offensive <laughs> and then there were there were people there, there there were people that were calling me i talked about the mazda stuff a little bit and there were people, there were some people who were, thought that I was an extreme leftist and there were other people who thought I was a white supremacist. Huh, yeah, that's, that's very common. Yeah. They can't tell they were contradicting each other. Yeah, that's very, I've heard that's very common for people that are, you know, not middle of the road, but I guess you could say like nuanced thinkers that, that they'll get called both sides of an extreme issue at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious, man. I mean, that's why, and Maza goes around I've seen him call Tucker Carlson a white supremacist. Yeah, it's on his bio. And, and it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. No. I've never heard Carlson say anything remotely like that. I've no. never the only person I've heard say white supremacist stuff is is um, um what her is it Richard Spencer or I've forgotten. Yeah, Richard name. Spencer is totally white supremacist. And, yeah, and and the guy, the English journalist who um, Gary Young. Okay made a film about him and he interviews him. You talking about Milo Yiannopoulos? Yeah, and I, I hope we don't get banned from YouTube for talking about I talk about him all the time. Talking. Yeah. And, and I can't find, I've, I've reviewed Milo's book, um, Dangerous. I can't find anything wrong Me neither. With he's not a white supremacist. He's married to a black dude. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. It, why why is he banned by Facebook as a dangerous individual? Yeah, it's, there's and certain people. They go after people that are clever, man. They, they, they like it's. I mean, Richard Spencer. I, I've read some of his works, and he he advocates for a white ethno state. I mean, he's essentially a white supremacist. But a lot of the people they go after are kind of they're kind of people that can outsmart them that they disagree with. And Milo's one of those people. He's just very clever. And I don't. I haven't even read his book. I don't know if I subscribed to any of his not, stuff. But not that extreme at all. No. And Pam Geller, the same thing. If you read her book, which she published, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, she actually talks about real threats, and she doesn't talk about she doesn't degrade Muslims at all. She just talks about real threats. Mm. And um, Milo, he, he gives, he defends Leslie. He somehow defends his actions with Leslie Jones in the book. I can't remember what 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 it was. I don't remember what he said about that. It was it was some kind of 
the movie yeah. is so stupid. The movie, the Ghostbusters movie, is so silly. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so serious. Yeah. And, and and they're taking and they're making people. They're making people into. And the and the the only person I've ever actually heard advocate the the superiority of one group is Richard Spencer himself. Yeah. I've never heard any of the other people, Watson or Yiannopoulos or Laura Loomer or anybody else say that. I've never, or Tucker Carlson or anybody else, I've never heard them say anything like that. And I, where does Mazza get the idea that they've said this? No, I haven't. I mean, it's all, but that, see that that's what, um, you know, I get what you're saying earlier about like, like, uh, stochastic terrorism and dog whistles and stuff like that. But th that's part of the problem with, uh, um, with these things is they're always indirectly related to extremism and stuff. And, and frankly, it breeds more people like me that are just skeptical of the whole thing at this point. And, you know, I, when someone directly advocates violence or like directly advocates supremacy, you know, you can, you can recognize it pretty quick and you tend to, it, it tends to just think that people that, that they, I don't know that they, they either are dumb, have an agenda, have something that's going on other than reality. When everyone gets painted, it's like the ultimate boy who cried wolf. You know, they say, you say, everyone's a white supremacist. Everyone's a separatist. Everyone's a nationalist. And these, these words become dead. And, and that's a lot of the people that listen to me and definitely myself we it breeds more distrust of the media than than i'm then i'm on the lookout for white supremacists or whatever like, i'm not one i most my you know i know the only person i've ever heard is spencer yeah that's yeah the people to go to his meetings i it seems the people that are the people the people that actually believe that then the number of them even though there was the torch march and right they're out there they're definitely not, out there yeah it's not very many no like in the hundreds or something yeah and they were found in the 1990s after the oklahoma city bombing we heard about the michigan militia we heard about these groups <clears throat> and there were all these little clandestine groups that timothy mcveigh was attached to and so forth sure. they're out there but they're not in there's absolutely no chance that that they would politically take over the country or saying there's just absolutely no chance now right. some people think that trump's being elected was the first step and and that's another narrative that no. they're trying to push yeah so I don't, you know when trump when he had the apprentice i thought he ran the show pretty well you know he picked <laughs> the when he fired somebody in the boardroom he generally had a good reason for doing it he gen generally ran these contests well. He even ran fundraisers, and he generally ran them pretty well, you mm -hmm. know. And I don't, I don't quite understand why Trump's behavior has become so erratic when he became president. Mm. <laughs> I don't quite understand why he can't thinks he has to behave the way he does with locker up and the dog whistles and so forth. Because I wasn't expecting this when he ran. I was mm. expecting somebody was a lot be a lot more moderate, mm. and. In some ways he's he sometimes is left wing he wants protectionism and he's seen a left he's a lifelong democrat right yeah 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 so, yeah so it just doesn't make any sense but, but to get back to what i'm saying sure uh, about the biggest danger is you would have to you would have to be approved to be a content creator on youtube or maybe to even have a domain and a hosted domain someday um what would 
Now, how would you be able to, what, how, what would we look at to see how, what we would approve you? We could have an informal social credit system. We could ask you, have you volunteered before? Uh -oh. Have you volunteered for nonprofits before? Have you um, worked in soup kitchens? Have you paid your due? Have you, have you been there yourself? You know, the, the biggest complaint against journalists is they don't, they, they, and that this goes for me too, is that we want to think that we're better than the quote losers unquote that are demonstrating and screaming in these demonstrations. I mean, I would feel offended to have to carry a sign and behave that way. I I understand that if you're in if if you're in an oppressed group, I understand that it's very different. It's that very different on the left. But I would feel offended by being expected to do that. Mm. You know, but but you can say, well, you don't have any right to be better than to act like you're better in public than anybody else until you prove to you pay your dues, you know, until you prove that you can deal with the same things we have to deal with. Now that's Marxism. Yeah. And that's what goes on in China. Essentially that's how China and some extent Singapore tried they try to make everybody right right size. Uh, another one of my topics on that blog is right sizing. Mm. Um, some of these um there's a group called there's a there's a church called the Oak Lawn the Oak um, what's uh, Mount Olivet Methodist Church in okay. Arlington, and um, that has community community assistance the third Saturday of every month, and I did it for a while. I usually in the clothing room, and I usually just put it, check people in, and handed out cards and everything. Uh, but you know, I found you know, I found that what I did volunteering, unless you're very dedicated that group and want to spend a lot of time with people so actually helping them it doesn't seem to work i don't seem to have any attack any connection to it i mean it was good to do for a couple of years but then when i sold the house in arlington and moved into this condo and downsized i stopped going there i said i'm going to focus just on getting my own stuff done i'm not going to spend time on something that doesn't go anyplace um you can be very dedicated to that, but like when people would come into the room in the clothing room, I'm not very interested in personally helping somebody find clothes that fit them and these very mundane things. Um, I, you know, I was never welcome in groups and so forth. My history, I'm introverted. I was never particularly popular or welcome, and so staying and doing away with doing making my own way in the world. Toward being a MGTOW, in other words, hmm. you know who you know who um, Martin Goldberg is, don't you? Economic Invincibility. No, I don't. You should watch his channel, Economic Invincibility. His name is Martin Goldberg. He has one of the best channels. He says a lot of the same things Tim Pool does, but he says them in a very different way, and he's very um, and and like he he made a video of the problem with cleaning your room. He's a conservative. He's sort of a libertarian. I get the impression you're a libertarian. Hard Mostly, yeah. Libertarian? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I'm definitely lean right, for sure. Um, probably libertarian. Uh, I thought I was an anarchist six months ago, and now I know I'm not. <laughs> you seem to be about where Ford Fisher is. Yeah, something like that. I mean, him got along really well, yeah. Um, so essentially, you're talking about, oh, you know, what could happen with these companies is like uh, – for lack of a better word, forced participation as a gatekeeping mechanism, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Then the speech is not your own. You yeah. Have to, you have to be responsible 
you have to have your skin in the game. That's Talib's idea. Okay. You have to have somebody you're responsible for. You can't do anything just because you can. You have to you have to do something for a purpose that helps someone else. The the, the writer Talib? Uh, Nassim Nicholas Talib. Yeah, Anti-Fragile, that book, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Okay, gotcha. And the irony, the irony is Talib's writing is that, is that actually the best kids are anti-fragile. Look mm. at David Hogg is definitely anti-fragile. You can't put him down, you know. If you if you if you attack him, he'll attack you back, and he'll get you. You know, look at what happened to Alex Jones. Mm. David Hogg practically got him deplatformed all by himself. Right. Or another kid that's anti-fragile is Nicholas Sandman. Okay. In 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 the Covington, he just stood yes. there and didn't let anything. And I knew immediately when I saw that. I saw that thing on Sunday morning. I said, this the narrative they were saying that he would they were. And this was before the other videos had been, you know, had surfaced about the that other group. And I said, he's not harassing Phillips. This, I'm, that's how mature kids act. I know some teenagers like that. That's what that's how they're taught to act: is mm. to do nothing and stand your and to do nothing and don't let something get out of hand. He's just simply not letting somebody get any more out of him than he wants. That there's nothing wrong with that. I think I think I sent a tweet to Google and I, I I told a couple of people on Facebook this something's wrong with it and they got mad at me for criticizing Nathan Phelps. Yeah. So woke. Good <laughs> for you, man. Out, yeah. It turned out eight or ten hours later I was you know, we were right. Yeah. Even somebody from WJLA, Steve Rudin, um, said something silly about you know Nate that this was bad on the part and I told I kind of told Steve off a little bit. Wow. Right. And he's still, we're still talking all the time. And he, and he took his comment down mm. after I told him. And it's, sure enough, yeah, I that's... think Tim, Tim Poole gets a lot of credit for blowing that thing up, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that was one of the big, you know, that was a big, um, a big part of that was, you know, you got the people that, that walked back their comments and the people that doubled down. And uh, most mm -hmm. of the people that doubled down, you know, people don't, you know, most people don't respect him anymore. You know, and and, uh, and but but both the irony is that both Nick Sandman on the right and David Hogg on the left are kids that are anti-fragile. Hmm. They don't they don't back down. That's exactly how you want kids to grow up. You hmm. know? Wow. Um, and and um, so I expect them both to do real well. You know, and we'll hear a lot from both of them. There's another kid that, at Harvard named John Fish. He would look at his videos um, about being a student at Harvard, but he's written, he's talked about um, moral tribes. Okay. Moral tribes. He's, he's talked about politics a little bit, but in a very unusual way. Sort of, I guess you would say conservative. He's from Canada. Um, libertarian to conservative. Um, but most of it is how to be a good student. He sounds like a 19-year-old Jordan Peterson. Huh. You know, he very much believes in taking care of yourself and taking care of yourself before you take on anything else. And he says that a lot. Well, that's what Jordan Peterson says. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I know I've noticed. One of the things that really drives me away from the high profile Democrats, you know, the ones that are running and stuff is they never, they never bring up personal choice. They never bring up personal responsibility. And it seems like they, I don't know. It seems like they can't or they won't or something like that, but I never even get, hear it in their talking points like 
Now, per, you know, personal choice. Now, David Pakman is willing to talk about. It yeah, yeah. And so if like if people like that ran or were in, you know, he, he's he's a speaker and, uh, you know, a media guy. And but it's, you know, not all our answers are supposed to come from politics, but definitely there's people in the left left leaning media that do for sure. Pacman is born in Argentina, so he can't run for president. Okay. He'd actually be good. I didn't know that. I didn't know he was born in Argentina. Just listening and read his, yeah. yeah. He would actually be good if he was in office, but um, because he's very reasonable and very methodical and he actually thinks everything through, mm. which a lot of the left doesn't. Yeah. Um, and so, so I respect some of the figures on the left. I, I think Pacman's very interesting. Yeah. Pacman also made a video in February, February the 11th, it's time for us to face the fact that a lot of Americans are stupid. <laughs> yeah. They don't understand anything. He thinks that Trump won because a lot of people just don't understand anything and were fooled mm. by, you know, the slogans and everything. And they okay. don't really understand anything but their own very narrow tribe. They only get information from their own tribe. They don't understand how to interpret things they read <clears throat> on the internet and so forth. And that's part of the problem, you know. Um, when when um, this author, I forget his name, the, the book, the Alt-America, the guy with the, whose book had the clover, the the clan head, the, the clan covers, Newmeyer, was that his name? I've forgotten his name. But when, um, when he when he was taken when he was suspended from Twitter, David Newert. Yeah, David Newert. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Um, what I didn't I know he was uh, suspended from Twitter. I've never actually even heard of that. Yeah, he got he got he got suspended because what what Twitter said was that the the average the average visitor would not understand that they saw the the image. They would would not understand. It is simply part of something else. They would think they were being manipulated. Okay. Particularly if they saw it on a on a mobile phone, that they couldn't tell from his profile that it's that it's actually journalistic. Hmm. Interesting. Now, if you look at Ford Fisher's news to share channel on YouTube on a computer, I don't know what it looks like on on mobile because I haven't really tried. But if you look at it on a computer, it's very obvious that he's filming events yeah he's pretty clear about that yeah very clear and yet that doesn't seem to satisfy youtube no i mean yeah i mean like essentially this thing that we're there you know they're going to try to implement like you called it marxism i haven't looked enough into marxism to to know whether that's like what it is or not but uh, i essentially think it won't work i mean unless they get to the hosting platforms that's a different story because people can just start new decentralized media sites and they won't be as powerful as youtube but you know, unless they get to the hosting and the, the internet service providers, it's going to be hard for it to work. That's what worries me because okay. they tried to do that. They, you know, they did that to the Daily Stormer. Yeah. And however re repulsive the Daily Stormer may be, and however, you know, Richard Spencer may be and so forth, however repulsive yeah. his ideology, the fact is they won't allow some things now. Then where, then, then where will they stand? Mm. Where, where, where will it, where will it leave? And you know there have been people whose bank accounts have been have been removed, you know, have been stopped and canceled and so forth. Um, you, you've heard about that, haven't you? Sure. Yeah. Joe, Joe Biggs, uh, 
Uh, Laura Loomer can't uh, get pay, get payment stuff. A lot of people, yeah. Well, Laura, Laura Loomer's problem with Uber, I think, was that she wouldn't ride with a Muslim driver. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. And obviously, the Uber's not going to allow you to discriminate against who drives you. I mean, of course, they, they're not going to allow that. So I read that someplace, that she's not allowed to that she wouldn't have, she, she wanted to be assured she wouldn't have, I mean, she changed herself to yeah. pretty extreme things. Yeah, she, she did I, some pretty, uh, I don't know, I mean, antics. I, I, but I couldn't, I could, Paul Watson, I'm trying to remember, did he work for? InfoWars. Uh, yeah. Yep. So he, I think he was only banned because he worked for InfoWars. So I don't think he's done anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's, yeah, I mean, I these know. are just, these are gatekeeping mechanisms. And I don't, you know, like, it, like you it, said, you know, it's hard it, to know what to do. It, Another thing is, isn't Facebook named these people as, as dangerous? Far-right extremists, like far-right violent extremists. Like, isn't that liable if it's not true? Can't they sue them? Or, well, it's not, Section 230 isn't, gonna, isn't going to protect me. If you call somebody dangerous and then you call them something that they're not, isn't that liable? Well, that's what's interesting about this is that uh, you know that it's you know obviously these uh, these companies don't have like armies and nuclear weapons and stuff, but in some ways their law has become bigger than the U.S. government. And the, that's what you know we talked about solutions and stuff like that. To, for me, the starting point of a good solution would just make their speech laws in line with what the what the United States free speech laws are. Whereas like direct incitement to violence, direct incitement to riot, fire in a theater. Uh, bomb, yelling bomb in an airplane, but but the, they're not they they go more, they're bigger than the U.S. law, and you know yeah, it seems they, like they, you're right. Because, well, because they want to operate in all countries. True. They have they have to be concerned about international norms. True. Yeah. In democratic countries in Europe, that's why I think remember that in Europe they won't they'll have to pre-screen everything for copyright country mm. by country. That started. Yeah. And it's going to be difficult for them to not want to do that here if they have to do it in all of Europe. So that's already given them a reason to pre-screen providers. So I think the idea that you have to be approved to be a content creator and be trusted, that's going to take hold. But wow. then that invites the idea of using a social credit system. Yeah. Which is, do you volunteer? Have you, have you, and that this is another thing about journalists you know you get the thing that a lot of people resent the idea that even me that i would be there photographing and marching but i wouldn't march myself mm. i think it's beneath me to march you, you get the idea that a lot of people would resent that mm. now now ford, ford gets invited by some groups to go and film that is well known. but then you can turn that around and say well if, if a journalist, if, if you're an extremist group and you know there's a journalist out there who will come and film you because that's his business, that's his brand to film everything, is that inviting people to be more radical? If they if they weren't allowed to be seen at all, then their ideas would never get out and other people wouldn't be radicalized. That's what Carlos Maza is trying to argue. And he's also trying to say that there are some groups that are so vulnerable that we have to go way out of our way for, to protect them. I mean, he is not really vulnerable himself, but he thinks he has to represent people who need extra protection and that the system should not allow, you know, 
should not allow people to say things to encourage others to congregate for the purpose of simply oppressing people that are less capable of taking care of themselves than we are. Yeah, I that's, mean, a, that's kind of a Marxist idea. Yeah, and you got to define that word. That's what he's thinking. Yeah, you got to define that word oppression because it's more often than not oppression is is like it, it's more defined as something that a group doesn't like than a, a thing that that doesn't like a group these days, at least. I, I don't mean in the past. I mean, I'm only 31 years old. So but like everything in my lifetime has been towards the um, uh, towards the, the trend of more freedom or maybe not more freedom but but less oppression like there hasn't been a lot of like large scale oppression of groups in my lifetime you know individuals for sure but not not groups yeah and so why since trump but since trump won mm -hmm. all of a sudden this 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 backlash or or blowback all of a sudden everybody thinks that trump is here to bring this oppression back and it's a theory, it's a narrative which i don't really believe i don't believe it either a lot, yeah. a lot of people seem to believe one of the things i our time i notice the time now yeah we got about 10 15 minutes left something like that one of the things i wanted to make sure you know what my original story is yes please let's in close 19, with that yeah, yeah. Back in 1961 i was thrown out of the college of william and mary for admitting to the dean that i'm a latent homosexual hmm. that that actually happened right after thanksgiving and my first book gives the entire narrative of why that happened. Um, I had a roommate who was homophobic. He started bringing the subject up. I didn't bring the subject up, but he did. And then things escalated and I got called into the Dean's office on the Friday after Thanksgiving, which isn't, but we didn't go home for Thanksgiving break. And I told him that I thought I was late and homosexual, but I'd never done anything. Hmm. Well, and then, so I was thrown out of school for having said that and expected to get psychiatric therapy. Wow. Yeah, and I would be allowed back if a psychiatrist said it was okay. Wow. To come back. So back in, so in 1962, I actually entered a program at NIH in, in Bethesda, the clinical center for people that had been, it was supposed to be people that had, had psychological problems in college. And this was during the Kennedy years when they were worried about the Soviet Union and, you know, like the movie, The Lavender Scare last night that I watched. Um, but what they seemed to be worried about was that I wasn't open to relationships with people that, that I could find anything wrong with. And it's true. I'm very picky about who I'll allow to be intimate with, hmm. who I'll feel. And I would never get married, would never have children because I was so critical of other people that I had to learn to value other people. Hmm. And the, the other patients on the one. The men were a lot more intact than the women were because of the way they picked the people. So I did bond. And so they made suspicious, they, it made them suspicious when I bonded with one or two of the more intact men, but not the women. Well, the women were a lot more rad, radical. In fact, one of the women, one of the women wanted to be a man was trans, but they couldn't deal with that then back then. Hmm. And then I lived at home. My parents actually paid for my tuition. And that the, the rules, I must never mention homosexuality again. Well, if you can't mention, well, wait, today you can't mention white supremacy on YouTube. Hmm. If you can't mention something, then they, that, that's something that you can't mention can be anything. That people don't remember 50 years ago, that's how it was. Well, things changed in the mid-60s. I wound up going to KU 
and I graduated without incident. I went and the second time I was in a dorm, there weren't any issues. You know, I okay. behaved properly. I was an assistant instructor in math while getting an MA in math. And um, I flunked a lot of people and caused a lot of controversy. And I was removed, but they, these were the remedial students. So the grades I gave would have been about right, you know. Mm. But, and I probably was, the things I said were probably, I said some things I probably shouldn't have said <laughs> about the job. And, but um, I, I was rehired again. The last, the last semester um, when I graduated was in 68. And I remember I was ma asked on the master's of one of the most controversial theorems, which is Louisville's theorem in, in complex variable. And that's controversial in cosmology and in speed of light and in relativity and everything. There's a reason why that matters, to, but that's, that's your, your turn. And then I, I, because I was so, I was worried about, I was so, my reputation was so bad that I would never be able to get a job requiring a clearance. So I volunteered for the draft to be drafted. And I entered the army in 1968, but I was behind physically other people. And so I wound up in special training, but I managed to pass the PCP test in about three weeks and went back to the unit. Then I was in the Pentagon in the summer and I read about nuclear weapons and stuff like that. And it was kind of interesting. Um, but then I couldn't pass the top secret security clearance. Again, that movie last night, The Lavender Scare on PBS. So I wound up getting sent to Port Eustis, and I just spent the rest of the time there. We didn't really do anything. But I didn't go to Vietnam. Hmm. But I, I could see how I could be banned because I was colluding with the system to put, send people to Vietnam to their death. I mean, somebody could say that about me if they wanted. But then after that, I got out of the Army. I had a relatively conventional career in IT. And wound up moving to New York City in 1974, right after Nixon resigned, and worked for NBC for a while. And then I moved over to IBM mainframes. And then I had, I was with a group called the Ninth Street Center, where the Paul Rosenfels group, where they teach the theory of polarity, which is not really the same thing as gender fluid, but it divides people into more categories, you know. And, and then I, because of, I wanted to get away from a personal situation in 1970, I moved to Dallas, which was very interesting. And then I came back after the company got bought. I worked for a credit bureau, actually. I came back in 1988 and worked for a small healthcare consulting firm. That was interesting. But in 1990, I went to work for Uslico, which would become Reliostar and ING and Voya. And eventually I lost a job in 20, at the end of 2001 after 9-11. But I was in a situation, I had to, when gays in the military came up, one of the things that the company did was it sold life insurance to military officers. So I was afraid of a conflict of interest. So I actually arranged to get transferred to Minneapolis to a different part of the company. Hmm. And that actually went very well. So that if I wrote about gays in the military, Frankly, that wouldn't be a problem. But hmm. what then did happen later is when I came back, I came home, mother's health was failing. She had surgery. Um, I couldn't actually work in Arlington anymore. I had to work in Minneapolis. That was the agreement. I mean, this is, there were problems with internet reputation before. And when I came back, 
Um, it was hard to get a job after 9-11. I was you know, 60 years old. I lived at home with mother. She died in 2010. Hmm. So I kept these websites going downstairs. And basically, I worked as a substitute teacher as a while. And there was an incident when I was working um, in 2005. I had written some screenplays and so forth. And I wrote a screenplay where a teacher gets in trouble because he allows a student to seduce him. I actually wrote it. There's no sex on the screenplay. But I showed in the screenplay what would happen to somebody if they gave in to that. Well, lo and behold, one of the teachers, it, there was a very bizarre set of circumstances at, at one of the high schools. And lo and behold, while I was substitute teaching there, a teacher did something, and it followed the model of the screenplay. And so I was asked to leave, sure, not ever go there again. It was a very complicated. I've explained it on the blog. But... See, these kinds of things happened before. And that incident at that high school, there was a, a parallel between that and what what happened in, with Comey and Wiener and everything. There were a lot of very curious parallels with what happened in the 2016 election. You know, I thought th this kind of thing's gonna happen again. That happened to me in 2005, this is gonna happen again. Well, sure it did in 2016, mm. the Hillary Clinton. And wow. And th that kind of incident that happened 12 years ago or 14 years ago is predictive of the kinds of problems we're having today because people feel they will be enticed to do things and um, they will, you know, and this is a real big problem in the real world. Hmm. Um, one of the things I also said is that we need to think about how we pay for our content I think I think rather than patronage models, it would be better if people actually paid for their content, but if the paywalls were bundled, so you could sign up for a bundle and get 20 or 30 sites and newspapers and pay relatively little, but pay for the content you use, and, and that that would be a healthier way to, to pay for this than just to, depending on advertising. Um, that that would be a safer business model. But that would mean that the companies that do the bundling would have a lot of power to decide who gets picked to be in a bundle. Right. That's a tricky one to get around. I read your but blog on that. The other idea, but I think that this kind of stuff is going to happen. In my personal opinion, I don't know what Ford would think of my saying this. My personal feeling is he's a, he's a very talented filmmaker, and if he could very easily sell his stuff to documentary film, to participant media, to, to HBO. Well, he's done that already, but he could very easily produce and direct future films, feature films right now if he wanted to and mm. get money for it. I mean, I sort of said that in Twitter to him a couple of times, but that I think he could move into film right now if he wanted to. He's gonna hear me say this, but I think, I think he could if he wants to. Because he's a tremendous filmmaker. Right. And that would be maybe. And there's another thing. The domain name that I have is Do Ask, Do Tell. That expires in 2021. I've never, no one's ever, um, there are other people who use that name, but no one's ever challenged me or complained about it. I think the name is inherently could become, could could become commercialized. I think if I try to renew it in 2021, I'm likely to have challenges 
which is one reason why I wrote a post yesterday where I explained what I'm going to do. I probably will just focus on music and the screenplay and drop out of completely because I'm not going to go work for I'm not going to go work raising money for a nonprofit after having done the things I've done. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. That if you if you have to speak for somebody else, you're or you can speak for yourself, then your speech is not your own speech anymore. Yeah. And that point point is very important to me. And I I haven't heard people say that. I want if you get anything out of this interview, it's that. If you want you don't want your speech to be conditioned on working for somebody else first. You know, being told we gave you the words, you go out and recruit. And, and that, which is Somebody told me that on a job interview one time, it was with PrimeVest or something after the layoff in 2001. We get we want you to convince people to convert whole life to term, you know, again, I had a background in life insurance. That's why they called me. But we give you the words, we want you to contact them. And well, I don't want to manipulate people to do anything. Hmm. I don't want to get people somebody else's line. So after having written a book like this and had these websites, I can't do that. People don't really get that. See, I, I think I present a different picture than maybe you've gotten from Poole and Fisher and so forth, but it kind of complements what they say because I've been doing this a lot longer. I've been doing it with blogs and websites right. and videos, and I've been doing it for free, but I was doing it with the web 1.0 technology <laughs> where you can just be found on a search engine. Well, being found by an algorithm on YouTube is sort of similar to being found on search engine, but so it's a similar concept. But then you didn't really need anything because there weren't that many people competing with you. You didn't need anything to be found. Wow, so, it's very interesting. Yeah, you, you're so that's you're, my perspective. You're around since 1.0, so it's like, yeah, that's why you have kind of more of a um, just more of a not balanced, but like many sides to it, like or I guess more complicated, more nuanced take on it. Yeah, it, it's very complicated, but that's why I can see we, we've had the, the ability to speak without gate, gatekeepers for about 20 years. But I think it could be coming to an end, you know, and that, that, that you could have to do something. You know, I, I said here, be, being listened to is a privilege. And I think, I think, I think that won't be seen. You can say what you want, but to have it, have it distributed to the rest of the world without anybody questioning it. I'm not sure we can take that for granted. Now, I was a plaintiff in the the with Electronic Found Frontier Foundation under the challenging the Child Online Protection Act. That's another thing I did, and that was finally settled in 2007. There was a place in that opinion where the judge around on page 50 took up whether people really have a right to distribute their content. Saying something is one thing. But distributing it is not necessarily the same thing as saying it. But he thought that people still did have that fundamental right in the way he wrote the opinion. Um, but I think you could say, you could argue otherwise if you wanted. Um, I, I, you know, I think what Fisher said was one model is to have all legal speech. If you're going to have a platform, you have to allow all legal speech. The other model is the company, the platform allows the speech that will enable it to have the most users. Remember, he's talked about Twitter as not 
allowing symbols and so forth, hate symbols, because it will intimidate some users and they won't want to use the platform. That does sound like a legitimate reason to have a policy not allowing some content. But then it's very hard. And then monetizing, there's a question, well, do advertisers want to be seen next to video demonstrations or people in Antifa or something, people be behaving very badly? Um, maybe they don't, but you might find some advertisers that do. Mm. Want to. You might, if you two try, they might be able to find some advertisers that are willing to do that. It might be okay. Um, but there's also the question, why not just simply take these and make them into independent films and then have ask people to rent them like the way you rent a film on Amazon. You can rent films on YouTube for $3.99 or on Amazon, same thing. Maybe some of this material should be rented like the way you'd rent a movie rather than offered for free and um, and just supported by advertisers. Maybe that's the model we need. I've said that and I, I'm, I don't know whether it'll work. It may, it may not go over real well with but I think we have to think about maybe that model as a way for handling demonstrations and so forth. And that's more getting into independent film, becoming more like a participant media or an HBO or sort of moving toward the world of conventional indie filmmaking rather than simply being on a platform. But that may be the way some of this content has to go. Wow. And, uh well, where I see it headed. Well, I definitely want to get you back on. That's pretty much all the time we have today. And, uh, you know, usually keep it to about 90 minutes. So I, you definitely have a lot to say on the subject. And uh, I don't want to get you back on and talk about maybe some more history stuff and more things that you've written about. And I definitely want to talk to you about things that you've written about, uh, about the electrical grid, you know, because I read that yeah, one I'm, article about that. So, so if you're if you're willing to come back on, I'd yeah, love to I do, do it. My, the, my main pitch is the mainstream media has simply dropped the ball on that. They haven't covered it properly. And Facebook's reaction was, well, why don't you let somebody sell um, you know, Faraday bags or something on your site so we, we know who you are, so then we can boost it. But you need to be selling something on your site before we can boost it. It's like, I don't want to put something like that to get people. I'm not trying to get people to be doomsday preppers. Right. I'm trying to pressure the mainstream media to cover this now fox has covered it a little bit but why haven't they covered it mm. are they afraid they'll incite an attack if they cover it why is this not being addressed that's you know, interesting north yeah korea, did you notice how trump was so bellicose about north korea and then after the olympics in february he suddenly changed his tone yeah um, he reached, woke up to the fact he can't get away with saying that he could put us all in great danger if he kept on this bellicose. So I don't know where that's going to lead. Um, Interesting. All right. Yeah, so we need to, the, 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 why hasn't the media covered this right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's selective. Like we said, it's kind of, they go after what's sexy and stuff like that. So, so, so that's why you need independent journalism, but you've got to pay for independent journalism. You've got to have, you can have trusted sources. You can have pay, you can have, some kind of paywall mechanism, but all of the ideas would be problematical. You know, there's no way to have some other external source sort of gatekeeping who's on it or, or you know, how it, 
how it gets who charges for or how it gets bundled without giving that company that's doing it political power. Mm, and if yeah. I would if I did a startup to do the bundling, which I thought about doing, I thought I could use my do ask do tell trade name to do that. I've actually thought about that. <laughs> if I did that, then I would have too much power. Mm. If I successfully did that, people would be saying I shouldn't have that kind of power. And wow. I probably shouldn't. All right. Well, I definitely want to get you, get you back on and all your stuff is linked uh, down below in the discord server. I mean, I'm not in, in the show description and uh, I don't know. So that's a uh, bill Bushka, everyone. I, I don't know. Why don't you say the name of your main website one more time? Do ask, do tell.com right now. Just do it without the HTTP without the S because I, I somehow the, the, the certificate didn't get renewed, renewed, but all the blogs can, you can see with HTTPS. And then the other stuff is on the right side of the page is the books. I've got three books on Amazon. One, 1997, 2002, which I wrote after 9-11, and then 2014, which is the things I say in the 2014 book, the speech is being listened to as a privilege. It's a little bit like pallid skin in the game. I don't call it that, but I say a lot of the same things. Okay. So I definitely recommend you read Skin in the Game by Nicholas Talib and you're going to see many of the same ideas. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks everyone out there for checking out Call Me Ignorant today and also the ones that check us out after today. You can uh, find this uploaded to YouTube, BitshootFreedomScoop.com as a video and Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean as a podcast. Follow me on Twitter at IgnoramusSteve. Send me an email at StephenIgnoramus at gmail.com. If you feel like you've benefited from the show and want to support, you can donate via DLive, PayPal, Streamlabs. Also, do, can do a monthly pledge at Bitbacker or Patreon, Subscribestar. All of that is linked in the show description. Hope everyone enjoyed the show. My guest today was Bill Bushka. You can find his information in the show description. Have a fantastic day. Good talking to you, Bill. Okay, thanks. All right.